When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey friends, welcome to the all new version of Napcast, a podcast co-hosted and produced by Nick and Mike, two male early childhood educators of color. What is this all about? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever uttered the words, I just want to listen and learn more? Then hey, you've come to the right place. This podcast is all about taking risks, leaning into your imagination and, well, being as curious as we are about how we can dismantle racism, sexism, and all the ism in our early learning environments. Oh, and this is also a place where we can kind of sort of just get weird with it. Together, we'll listen to insights and feedback from various educators of color working with our world's youngest citizen in direct and indirect ways. Just the thought of that should send chills down your spine. So, are you ready? Did you turn your headphones up? All right now. Good. Let's get it. Hello, nappers. Welcome back. We're glad to see you. Hello, napcasters. Yes. Oh, my. (laughs) Okay, we tried. Uh, I am joined by, uh, let's go, let's, what's another twin? Let's be a Tia Maori and, and Tamara. Is it Tamara, Tamara? Yeah. Yeah. Tia and Tamara Maori. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll be Tamara and you, Tia Tia. Oh, shucks. Which one <laughs> has the, do I have the mole? I don't, I, it's so hard to tell them apart. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I haven't seen me. them in a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm joined by Nick Taronis, Taronis. Uh, pronouns are he, him. I am the current director at Daybreak Star Preschool as a guest here on the Duwamish lands now, also also known now known as uh, Seattle, Washington. And I got my Tia over here. Hey. Your tia, not as in the person, not your uh, auntie. Even though if I was, I'd be like, I feel like I'd be like a Medea. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> chocolate upside my head all day long. Uh-huh, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Mike Brown. My pronouns are he, him. I have a whole a variety of different titles from educator to coach consultant. So whatever you want, whatever you need, I will show up and I'll be that for you as well as Throwing a chancla at your head. I'm on the traditional. <laughs> I'm on the traditional lands of the Kumaya tribe, um, which is now known as San Diego, California. And we're recording this on uh, on a Saturday morning, and I'm taking bites 
of of food in between um, speaking. And I kind of want to let's talk about that. Let's talk about food. I titled this Mm. episode, Why Won't They Eat? Because I I feel like that's always a contentious thing. Oh, man, I'm dealing with that even this year. There's like, I have kids that'll, you know, when lunch is dropped off, um, kids will come and like peer into the little dump bucket that or the the tray and and bucket that it's served in. And because right after our lunch is nap time or rest time. (laughs) <laughs> there's like two or three kids that will come look and they're like, I'm just going to go to sleep. And it's like, and they do this like every day. They maybe have eaten lunch. I can count on both hands out of that at this point in the year. I'm like, wow. <laughs> but they're, but they don't seem to be shrinking or losing size. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're not like, uh, they're not like losing they're not losing it at the end of the day. So yeah. Why won't they eat? I ask myself that all the time. Well, for you and definitely for myself, you know, we have a relation, our relationship to food is a, it's a messy one. It has brought us everything from joy to pain, comfort to stress and yeah, even trauma. And so I want to start off today's conversation, Nick, about how do you think we can create? Well, because we're we're early childhood educators and well self-proclaimed foodies, and we're deeply invested. <laughs> we're deeply invested in the spiritual wellness of the the children in our programs. And so for us, it's more than just snack time. It's more than just about eating. It's food sovereignty. It's it's a conversation and an attempt it's to community. Yeah, exactly. It's soul. It's so much more. And so how do you think we can work to create healthy? And I want to dissect that word a little bit more later on, but healthy food relationships or relationships young children have with food. And if that's not something that's resonating right now, maybe how 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 do you live that out in your own life? How do you create healthy food relationship? Oh, between me and food, um, you know, I think the idea of balance strikes. You know, like admittedly, maybe every every other week, um, I'll eat some McDonald's. Um, and I, and I've come to realize like, it's very nostalgic for me, like biting into a uh, McDonald's cheeseburger. Uh, it reminds me of a specific moment when I did not, uh, what I forget. I was at football practice as a little kid and, you know, I'm like, I don't know, six, seven years old. And in LA, they took their football serious, right? Like even for little guy, like little kids. And, and I was the quarterback and I remember my, and I was just not having a good quarterbacking day. And my coach, you know, grabbed me by the face mask and just jerked my little head around. It was like, and like swearing at me. He's like, you know, here's this big black dude too. He's like, you need to get your bleeping bleeps together. And you, you know, remember what we taught you. And, and I'm just like, oh. and, um, I held it together for the whole practice, but, and, um, by the time my mom came to pick me up, like I kept my helmet on and, 
and helmets are uncomfortable, right? And but I kept it on because you know it shielded your face, and I just started to cry after practice and walking towards my mom. And of course, she could see my little face through the through the little gap there, and she was like, "What? What happened?" I was like, "He was mean to me," <laughs> and and I was like, "I don't want to go back to football." And um, and so I and so she she drew um, she didn't talk about it. She just like. She's like, let's let's go get you a happy meal, you know. And so when I every time I bite into a McDonald's cheeseburger, that that memory comes up, this sense of comfort. Right. And then even at times like that, that's all like my family could afford at the moment. Right. Instead of like a week's thing of groceries was you know, um, having some McDonald's. And so. It. Uh, so I bring that up because now as an adult though i know i can't like solely just eat mcdonald's and the idea of balance for me for uh food my relationship with food is about finding a balance you know if i'm like oh yeah i had a bunch of red meat um or a bunch of meats in general i gotta make sure i um getting getting in some greens or some kimchi or some something probiotic to like move that meat around so to get it out and to uh you know, just really finding that balance of uh, to, to nourish my body. And then even like, I don't eat just because it's a certain time of the day. I eat when I'm hungry kind of thing. And that is exactly what I meant about this word healthy. Because I think in, in our culture, in our society, we hear that and we go to the food pyramid. And we think, well, you need X amount of dairy and X amount of protein and things like that. And so it's a very Western way of looking at food and having a relationship with food when mm -hmm. really um, to that last point around, hey, eat when you're hungry. Why are we depriving ourselves of this nourishment that our body clearly needs? Um, and because it's not 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 5 p.m. Like those those times, time stamps and social constructs that we said, these are the times in which you have to eat. And so just the whole idea of, of what does healthy means is something that I hope people can really interrogate because there are economic reasons, there are spiritual reasons, there are so many different reasons, which doesn't allow us to, uh, cultural reasons, it doesn't allow us to engage in this ideology of what healthy foods within the context of the United States means. And when we do that, I think later on, we can then see uh, people going on, swinging between the extremes and not seeking a balance whether it's I got to heavily diet because I'm in this culture in which you have to look a certain way, your body has to look a certain way. And so I need to be able to eat so I can be like that. And then the other extremes in which we gorge and we don't take into consideration taking what we need in the moment and we indulge. And mm -hmm. so I hope people sit with that idea of what does healthy actually mean when you take into the con when you take into context environmental factors, um, cultural, social, economic, religious, or spirituality, which are not the same. Those are two different things. Um, you know, body types, 
uh, generational trauma and like situations like yourself where it brings up this this warm feeling and that is more important to you in the moment than necessarily hitting all of your carbs for the day. Right. Yeah, you know, um, when you were talking, I, I did a quick like look down and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much, but other people do a quick Google search of uh, type in food pyramid criticism. Mm. And there's like all you can go down a good rabbit hole with that. And I think that that is something important to think about. And when I, you know, thinking back when I was a kid again, um, I didn't eat a whole lot. And I, you know, I was often criticized for being like super skinny and just like, you know, but to me, I was aerodynamic. <laughs> I was fast. <laughs> and um, and I just didn't eat a lot. I didn't feel like I had to. And um, I never, I, I hated eating breakfast, even all the way up to my early adulthood it eating breakfast would make me nauseous and um i never liked drinking milk i think i stopped drinking milk like when i was five or six but it just didn't not because it affected me but it just tasted gross and my body just was like wow didn't like it and um and i mostly ate like seeds and nuts for the longest time so like my mom was just like, I, this kid's not going to eat anything else. Seeds, nuts, and fruits and fish. Those were like my favorite things, right? And so I'd just walk around with like sunflower seeds and pistachio seeds just in my pocket and just would eat that all day, every day. Um, and, and I think about that, I was like, maybe that's like a genetic thing, you know, being Chumash and that's, they ate a lot of seeds and nuts, but sorry to digress there. No, you never do. It's it's all important. <laughs> and it's all about, right? It's all about supporting each other and, and making sure that we're actually listening to children. A lot of times I, I draw the par- parallel in the, and when, if you hear a child says, hey, I don't think this, especially a black child says, I don't think this teacher likes me. Where are we listening to them and going, oh, right? They're, they're smart. These these children are not just making things up, but there's a certain feel or body language or expression or emotion in which the educator is giving off to this child and which is making them feel this type of way. And so I relate that back to how we also listen to children when they say, I don't like milk. Maybe we don't understand how it's affecting their body. Maybe they are lactose intolerant. We don't know that, but because the FDA says, or because our package that we got and we're receiving funding that's pushing milk, we have to give children milk. So maybe, yeah. right, the thing about soy milk and almond milk, and I know those are expensive, but what's more important at this part, at this point of our lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really love that. that You said that is like, yeah, trusting the child's intuition right um trusting that they know you know i'm not going to say that a child always knows what's best for them but uh, i think i mean shit none of us really do right (laughs) it comes with experience but a lot of the times uh we can trust their word on it and 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 also model and provide uh a uh a responsive healthy way of, of of uh, sorry, responsive, balanced way 
of mm. like helping them find what's healthy for them. And so I brought up culture a little bit, but how do you imagine, or I'll answer my own question first and then give you some time to, to think about it. But I, I thought about how does culture play a role in eating habits with young children? And there's, I think about how there's some kindergarten readiness standards that calls for children to be able to, for example, like use a fork to be ready for mm. kindergarten. And I just, I, I look at that and, and I'm like, it completely ignores the fact that some culture like India, because you visited India, they mm -hmm. use their hands primarily to eat. Mm -hmm. I think about how some cultures, I had some children in my class who their culture, they use bread. And they use it as a scoop. And so the concept of a spoon was really difficult for them to comprehend, to use, to grasp. And just even thinking about reflecting back on my own culture, our heaviest meals of the day tends to be during the middle of the day. So one o'clock, two o'clock, that's when we ate our, that was considered dinner for us. And so snack time, well, to me growing up, was always skipped because we were always told, hey, don't ruin your appetite. And so these are, there are little things like this in which I just think we need to be really aware of, right? There are biochemical, psychological, social, uh, physiological, educational factors at play when it comes to our food choices and developing a healthy relationship with food. And so one thing I'm, I'm hoping we can go back to now that, well, the government says we're not in the pandemic, but we are very much still in a pandemic. Um, but one thing I'm hoping we can go back to more is like the sharing of food in centers. Because for me, it's, it's about social intimacy. It's about acceptance. It's about community building, like you mentioned earlier. And at the end of the day, we need to... Uh, and I read this in a in a study for one of our other presentations that we do. But first of all, did y'all know we do presentations in conferences? <laughs> <laughs> or are we doing that in service days or really any gathering of the minds? We do this work. And so we'll definitely come out, give y'all one of our presentations, one of our workshops, one of our keynotes. And we can also do it via Zoom. So you don't have to necessarily fly us out there. Anyways. I read this for one of our presentations that we do um, called uh, Nourishing Our Spirits, Feeding Our Souls. So that's the name of one of the workshops um, that we do. And you can reach out at napcast206 at gmail.com if you're interested in learning more. And we do that along with our, with our friend who's an indigenous social worker. So we have multiple perspectives on it. Anyways, the article says... Uh, and I quote, we need intimate, detailed knowledge of the people's beliefs, attitudes, knowledge, and behavior before attempting to introduce any innovation into an area, end quote. And that area being about around food, because that's what the article is about. And so how do we continue to be like anthropologists in this work of ours? So we can balance the 
cultural association people have with food with the nutritional ones? I mean, so, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was just, you know, community-based practices, right? Like, I think, um, I don't know where I said it, but I know it was with you somewhere and, and kind of recently um, that I feel I'm starting to have this shift that all sort of educational settings should be more rooted in, a, like, as a community-based uh, responsive, uh, community-based responsive education. Um which, you know, can help with culturally sustaining pedagogies and culturally relevant education and really keeping uh, it to some degree. I've kind of gone the way of like, you know, maybe charter schools are the way to go because the communities, if communities are empowered financially to to grow out what is important to them. Um, while also, I, you know, still meeting some standards uh i think that's where we'll be able in this conversation be able to home in on um on what what meals and nourishments are are relevant and necessary for that community and for those children um and it's and i guess i'm going back to also like thinking about those big words of of what you named out with that like what are the ways of knowing being and values right what are the epistemologies, the ontologies, and the axioms? Like those are all going to be from the from the community, and we can only know that if the community is the community's voice is raised up and empowered and highlighted and actually listened to, um, and, and and given the resources to be able to actualize their their desires, their relevancies, and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's interesting, like when I was, I was kind of stuck thinking on the fork and the spoon of those being really defining, um, socioeconomic, like class factors, uh, when you look at, okay, for example, I, when I got to go to Puerto Rico, you know, I, you know, I asked in a restaurant, like, um, you guys got any tortillas, like assuming that they had tortillas and maybe they did, but at the restaurants that I went to, they, they every time I got laughed at and they would say like, we don't eat with our hands. We use forks and knives there. And then all my Mexican friends and even being in Mexico, they're like, yeah, Puerto Ricans, they think that they're better than everybody <laughs> because, you know, and I, and I think you got to attribute that to a sense of colonization, right? That Puerto Rico and that area experienced Spanish colonialism um, way before Mexico and whatnot. And so uh, perhaps Mexico and most of Latin America was able to retain some uh, indigenous ways of eating with a tortilla or a flatbread of some kind. And when you look at across the, a lot of global cultures, like there's some sort of flatbread, there's some sort of thing to pick up your food and eat. And even like when I was in Sri Lanka, there, you know, yeah, there was no forks and spoons. It was just eat with your hands. And oftentimes, like food was just dumped on the table, no plates or anything. You just ate off of that. And that was, um, and we were fine. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about like, yeah, why do we eat 
and how do we eat the way we do? Like, where does that come from? What's that inspired by? Um, I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, those are all the thoughts that came to my mind. No, you did. And oops, I said India earlier. I thought you were in India. You were in Sri Lanka. And I know they're I well, know in India. Your border, in, right? Uh, not really. No, they it's they're divided by like a a canal or like a, a waterway, but they're pretty close to each other. But in India as well, you know, there were some places where you ate with your hands, and the more fancier places. Again, India's got like the, the caste system, mm-hmm. so. You know, so you, I got to experience both of those worlds where it's like eat with your hands and only eat with the fork and spoon kind of thing. We'll be right back. These last few months have brought upon a lot of changes in Nick's and Mike's lives. New cities, new jobs, new adventures, us going independent. Shout out to all the peeps who supported us along the way. And now we have a new email address. You can email us at napcast206 at gmail.com for all your Napcast questions, ideas, and thoughts. And while our new website isn't quite up and running yet, you can still find us where you listen to all your music and podcast. Spotify, Apple Music, Google, and so much more. So what should we chat about next? You tell us. And as always, thank you for listening. You know, we're recording this via video and then we take our audio out and clean it up. But we saw, I saw your... uh <laughs> cats jump up there and, and it reminded me of a video that I saw probably last night actually around cats and cucumbers. Have you seen that? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so why cats <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you can go on uh, a video streaming website. Try not to give out free advertisement. Okay, YouTube. You go on YouTube and just put cats and cucumbers and they have a weird reaction or fear to it. And it just reminds me or it makes me think since that's the topic today of food, like children refuse food, maybe because there's fear of it. Uh, maybe it's an unusual sensory property to them or um, a texture or smell, or maybe it's not valued in their, in their culture. Um, or maybe it's considered uh, food of someone of social lower social economic status, and like, mm-hmm. I think about like grail, um, that is uh, a form of communication. That's a language in which my culture that always looks down upon because it was uh, always associated with people of lower local social economic status, and so we try not to teach that. And so just just things like that where I'm just trying to make the connections around how how does culture play and role in eating habits oh man you're uh so i refused to eat beans for the longest time as a kid mm-hmm. and it was you know growing up there like being being called a beaner or you know these kinds of things like and knowing that like mexican americans or 
people of Latin descent in Southern California ate beans, I figured if I didn't eat beans, then I wouldn't be a beaner, right? But that culture in Southern California and, and the white dominant culture othered me, which shifted me to be like a refusal of beans. And there's this one time I remember, this is the only time that I remember my parents doing this, but I wasn't allowed to eat the, I wasn't allowed to leave the table until I ate all of my bean soup my mom made. And I was like, you gave me the worst thing that I could ever, the only thing we had was bean soup. Um, and I'm like, ah, oh. so, you know, I was at the table for, I don't know, felt like a while now near the near the kitchen area we had a bathroom and so i would basically just put the bean soup into my pockets and and just load a bunch into my mouth walk over to the bathroom and just like <laughs> then dump it all into the toilet until and um until my mom's like why are you going to the bathroom so much and i was like ah i'm like i finished my bean soup and then you know uh and then you know she obviously and then she went in the bathroom and looked and, you know, when you try to flush so many times, not everything is going to go down, especially like beans. So there's all these like shreds of beans in the toilet. And she was like, you know, like, <laughs> what the hell? But uh, yeah, I mean, all that sort of, you know, as you were saying that, like for me, I uh, the culture of you have to be you have to fit into this American mold and we're going to other you by the food that you eat affected me to to dislike beans right and i and it wasn't until like my probably like mid to late 20s that i finally started eating beans and i just got so accustomed to avoiding them mm. you know so what did we learn today that you were a little shit growing up <laughs> uh-huh oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> That story prompts me for another question, right? Around celebrating, celebrating different foods. Cause it sounds like you you had an aversion to it because of, of a cultural influence. And I just wonder what if what if you didn't get made fun of or were called a beaner because of that? How would that have played a difference in maybe you liking beans and you appreciating that and you leaning into your culture? So the question I have now is how how do we celebrate different foods children bring in and i and i bring that up also because there's there's children in the class that i have now that will make fun of other children for what they bring in and so one thing i've done and i've only done this a handful of times and i actually started as an idea that you mentioned to me once around children serving each other using fine china i think it was oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about how you did that? Um, you know, so during our, like we would call our meeting time or circle time um, in high scope curriculum, it's called large group time where you, you know, the whole class gathers around a circle, you read stories or whatever. Um, we would serve snack and, uh, and, and, and cool down tea, uh, non-caffeinated, of course. Um, to the kids or even sometimes just apple juice right and call it tea and we would uh and sometimes i call it all right it's pinkies up time and so we put our pinkies up but um 
yeah, we would give the kids like fine china. I mean, I don't know if it was like fine china, but it was definitely delicate plates that we picked up at, at the thrift store. And um, yeah, just cert- like, and we would pass around a little, a little basket of crackers or cheese sticks or whatever it was. And kids would use tongs to like, you know, put serve themselves and pass it to another kid. Sometimes we'd serve each other and we would pour their their apple juice or tea and and then we would just have circle time that way. And you know, this was our snack time. And um read stories, talk about what was going to go on for the day. So kind of like a, a just a, a different way of introducing like how we could do the same thing we do over and over. Mm. Yeah. So out of that I hear um, I hear you teaching about like respect for other people's properties. Mm-hmm. I hear community building. Um, I imagine in addition to apple juice, you could probably boil some nettle. And yeah, we could have. Yeah. Healing properties in that. And so you're teaching children about indigenous plants and the relationships to native people, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I thought about that when I, when I thought about this idea, um, and built off of that. So we had, uh, I think it was a Filipino dish available for snack time one time. And I knew some of the children would either avoid it uh, because of how it looked, uh, or I heard them having conversations and saying, oh, those foods are weird. And those things were coming up. So I was like, how do I celebrate Filipino food? And I was like, okay, well, it's coming up in snack time. I was like, ah, I thought back to my catering days and I said, okay, what if I, what if I combine the two? And so I celebrated that snack time through fine dining, like catering techniques. So I wore all black, had a black tie. I plated the foods on a quote unquote fancier dish, um, aka not their paper plates or not their compostable bamboo things that we usually give them. I had all the silverware out. And I had other adults help me. So I set all like I set up all the plates and things like that when they were out on the playground. And then when they came in, the, I had another adult like, oh, hey, reservation for one. Can I get your name? Almost like a fine dining experience. <laughs> and they escorted them into and the children like, what the hell is going on? By assigning them their seats, they sat down. So I gave a whole production to it. So it feels special to them. And it gives us, you know, I hope to impart like this idea was, oh, this is a a special meal and, you know, a quote unquote classy meal and really just another, just a dope opportunity, in my opinion, um, I'm biased, to celebrate another culture. And so then I followed it up afterwards with uh, a book celebrating other Filipino dishes and culture. I got some cool facts from a girl I was dating at the time around some of the food. And so I was able just to scaffold and, and work that around to have to help them have a different perception of Filipino food. You know, um, that's reminding me of a term. I don't know if you use this in your classes that uh, that I've used and we use at Daybreak. It's taking adventure bites, right? Like food. And what you provided to them is this perspective of going on an adventure. It's something different, right? And we might learn something from this experience. We might gain something, a new insight to ourselves. And life, I think, really is an adventure. 
especially when you look at it through the lens of a child, like all these new experiences and all these um, new opportunities and people that they meet, the foods that they meet, these are new adventures, right? These are something exciting. It's something worth trying. And I remember this, uh, one of the kids that I had mentioned at the top of this, that just like, she's one of the kids that just won't eat anything except for every day. She asks me, are we having bread for lunch? You know, mm-hmm. uh, she just wants bread. But so we had wild rice, some deliciously baked salmon, um, some fresh vegetables, you know, stuff that like you might pay like $40 a plate for at a restaurant. And these kids are getting it at lunchtime at preschool. Well, the week before I took kids up a, uh, I took them one at a time up a, a, a pretty steep hill that uh, ended up overlooking the Salish Sea. And, um, and it was just this like offshoot trail near daybreak. And along the way, I would stop and point out the different plants that could be used. And one of them, staguad or uh, salmonberry, before it becomes a berry, it has these beautiful pink flowers and you can eat the petals and they taste pretty sweet. And so halfway up, you know, I'd offer a petal to the kids and they would eat them. And, and this little girl, she was like hesitant. I'm like, go ahead, give it a try. It tastes kind of like watermelon and a cucumber. Um, in one little petal, it has this like just burst of flavor. And so she did. She's like, oh. And then, you know, as we were walking up, though, she, she's kind of hesitant to go through um, through the bushes. She didn't want the like leaves touching her and stuff. And I'm like, you'll be fine. Let's let's keep going. There's not I'm not taking you anywhere uh, that will hurt you um, or that you, you know, I'll make sure you're safe. Like this is our adventure. Like we 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 try new things and we see we see how it feels for us. And so she was very proud of herself to get to the top of this hill and very proud of herself uh coming down and you know would uh throughout the week uh remind like just reflect on she's like, I did it, you know. I let I let the sword ferns touch me and I was okay. And I'm like, Yeah, you were great. So the week later we have the salmon dish. And I reminded her, I'm like, hey, remember when you were you you were kind of like, uh, you were like, people can't see me on the video, but kind of showing this like hesitant body. You were kind of like this moving through the, you know, the the sword ferns. And when I said, um, when I told you that you could like trust me and that I was keep you safe, you did it. And before your body started moving very confidently. And so I kind of showed her what her and she was moving like this with her kind of strut you know and i'm like this is kind of the same thing of trying to bite of salmon you know let's give it a try you might feel good about it this is an adventure just like you went on the adventure um going up the hill and you felt good about yourself and so with a disgusted look she like took a little bite of salmon and her face slowly like then transforms like oh she's like i like this adventure And then she ate a couple of little patties of salmon and, you know, and, and since then, because, um, we said, I celebrated, I was like, yeah, you did it. I was like, yeah, just kind of over the top. And, um, but since then, when some of these kids are now trying their adventure bites, we celebrate them on their adventure and the kids will, that's the way we're getting them to take some adventure bites. Like, will you celebrate me? (laughs) And so like, they'll take a, They'll take a piece of spinach 
and you know they'll eat it and like they have the most disgusted look on their face but they're doing it they're going through the adventure and then the whole class celebrates them you know mm. um and 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 you could see them like a little bit more loose a little bit more willing to take an adventure bite and um and so you know all that to say is like how and what I heard your your uh, experience is you're you're providing an adventure, right? Of something that is still it's food, something that they're experiencing, albeit it's a a new food, but you're creating an experience, an adventure for them. And when we think about what adventure is for us as adults and what that elicits our emotions, our feelings, our memories, um, we can do that with something a little more simplistic, like, like, like food and taking bites. I love it. I absolutely love it. Isn't this is why this work is so much fun. Where else could you do that? Not in accounting. (laughs) (laughs) Not in accounting. Yeah. Take a calculator adventure typing (laughs) thing or whatever. (laughs) And when I did, I learned how to write, uh, boobies on my, on my calculator. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm definitely. Or hello. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have yeah. to put the, the explicit on this on this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, just in closing, it is what we're trying to communicate is that we are learning. We're. I'm still in the process of learning what it feels to just accept my body. And I think that's the most important thing that I'm trying to impart with the children. Because there's so many things out there that says you shouldn't love it. You should change it. You should work on it. And when it comes to the relationship with food and this idea of what healthy is, I I want to be able to make sure that they understand that there's nothing wrong with their body whether it's mental, emotional, physiologically, whatever. There's nothing wrong with their bodies. And that you should love it. And that we should be grateful to have the bodies that we have and to celebrate it any chance that we have and take up space with it. Take up space. Be in space. Yeah, and I hear you saying like, you know, I I hear you saying something a little more deeper than love your bodies because i think in this in our contemporary times we hear that as like love the outside of your body as it is Mm -hmm. right and yes you should do that but also love your body for what it knows intrinsically of what it wants to eat and when it wants to eat right i think that's what i'm hearing more from you is that intrinsic knowledge that ancestral knowledge that genetic sort of knowledge that calls out to us you know why I was a little kid, just so like, give me fish, nuts, and seeds. That's Uh all I need, you know? So don't pump me full of dairy. (laughs) uh, So I think that's, that's what I'm hearing from you. And so to, to close this out, how will, what steps are we going to take as educators before we can support others? We got to support ourselves. And I think about it like, when we're on the, well, I've never experienced this on the plane, but they tell us on the plane, put on your oxygen mask before you put on someone else's. That can't, same concept. How are we going to restore our relationship 
with our ancestral foods and our customs and nourish our minds and our bodies and our souls in ways that resonates with us and our ancestors. So then we can then do that for the children that we work with.